Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of this new book interview podcast done in collaboration with the Asian Review of Books and the New Books Network. In this new podcast, we hope to interview both fiction and nonfiction authors writing in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. Our interview today is with Lawrence Osborne, author of the new novel, The Glass Kingdom. Sarah Mullins, an American woman, arrives at the kingdom, a fading luxury apartment complex in Bangkok. She's there to lay low after passing over forged collector's items. She meets the the other residents of the kingdom, including the energetic yet mysterious Molly. This starts an unfolding story amidst the fictional backdrop of growing protests as both the kingdom's expatriate tenants and the local Thai staff evaluate what will happen next. Lawrence is a proficient novelist. He is also he is also a former journalist, writing for publications like the New York Times, The New Yorker, and Condé Nast Traveler. Uh, today, Lawrence and I will discuss his new novel, his writing and research process, and how he feels about the idea of expat fiction as a genre. So, Lawrence, uh, perhaps it's best to start off by talking about the book. Without divulging too much about the story, how does The Glass Kingdom start off? <clears throat> Well, the premise for this story was um, actually a true story, although I shifted the elements around a bit. Um, and it didn't begin in Bangkok at all. It began, it begins in New York with uh, a young woman who migrates to New York from a small military town in California. And with the ambition of having a literary career and becomes the personal assistant to a famous novelist, whom she then proceeds to um, imitate in life and art and learns how to uh, imitate her letters. And as the writer, the famous writer, declines with old age, declines in her faculties, um, <clears throat> our protagonist, our heroine, our anti-heroine, uh, learns how to take over her, the business of selling off her letters to uh, collectors around the world. And then this sets in motion the possibility of uh, a scam whereby she sells some fake letters, some forged letters to a collector in Hong Kong. Um, the elements of that are actually based in a true story. Um, but I changed it for my own purposes by having her continue her flight uh, away from New York into Bangkok. Because I've always felt, having lived here a long time, that Bangkok is actually the perfect place for a person to escape. Have they had they committed a crime or you know, some kind of fraud? And of course, you know Bangkok is is famous for that anyway. It's probably the the, the number one city in the world, along with Manila, um, to escape to after you've done something like that. So I felt that the, although there were many uh, noir and crime novels set in Bangkok, that I wanted this to be essentially to have an American root to it um, and, a, and a New York point of origin. After all, I lived in New York for 20 years, so it's as much my city as Bangkok is. Perhaps it'd be good to talk a bit more about, about the main character, Sarah, who, who you called, you, you kind of, you can call her an anti-hero or an, or an anti-villain, depending on your point of view. Um, she's American, uh, she's somewhat naive, but not entirely. But of course, she's clearly not innocent. As, as, the, as you note, she's a forger, and she passes off these, these forged letters from this agent novelist. I wanted a character who was dis- disintegrating from the inside and whose identity was not fixed, but fluid. Um, and who, in a sense, has lied to herself so much that she's beginning to lose any sense of what is real and what is not. 
this seems to me a human type that I've observed in real life many, many times over, um, particularly in the New York environment, I might say. Um, when New York is a, a place that produces that kind of person that is perfect for them to uh, thrive in. So I wanted this sort of, um, I wanted the idea of somebody whose identity is very fractured and very fragile, propelling herself into an environment like Bangkok, where the process of disintegration will become even more acute, uh, will become even more internally dramatic. So it was the idea was to create a psychological study rather than a crime novel. It's not really, um, you know, I think uh, crime novels are usually predicated upon a very uh, firm sense of good and bad. And I think I don't see the world that way at all. Um, I think human beings are very often not conscious of the way they behave, or why they behave the way they do. They're more like, you know, migrating birds that have this change of direction that they're not really... Uh, that aren't necessarily conscious, that aren't necessarily in the realm of consciousness. So I wanted to, this seemed like a good way of exploring that theme. And, and this is something you can say about all the characters in the novel, or at least certainly the, the, the expatriate tenants of, of the kingdom. Um, they're all, uh, I'm going to use the word unstable, which I don't mean in, in the sense of, um, you know, mentally unstable, but, but you're right that you never really quite know what any of them are thinking, um, what any of their, I, I guess, the, the context in which they see the world, even when chapters focus on their perspectives. Yeah, and I think, um, well, yeah, Bangkok is a place which attracts that kind of person, actually. Um, it's a bit like New York. It's a very similar, it's very similar to the, uh, it's not exactly the Asian New York, but it has a lot of things about it that are very similar to New York. It attracts people who are on the lam, who are on the loose, who are escaping, who are getting away from something. You know, New York attracts people who are escaping from the American Midwest or the American uh, small towns. It always, ha always has had that function. And um, it often destabilizes those kinds of people because they're not prepared for it. People come to Bangkok because they're escaping from the rest of the world. And so I had my four characters who are, you know, in Bangkok for different reasons, uh, very different reasons, actually. Um, but they're all, in a way, trying to recreate themselves or remake themselves in some ways. I think this is a very common reality in the city, as, as I've observed. I mean, I've been living here for nine years now, and I think uh, you see that kind of thing all around, all around you here. And indeed, it may even be true of myself to a certain extent. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I came here to escape um, a criminal act, but I, I may have come here in order to sort of remake myself in a certain way. Um, so that seemed to me uh, both interesting and also true to life. Um, and I wanted to, write, wanted to write a novel that was realistic. Okay. What about the, uh, the, the Thai characters uh, in your novel? Um, and also might as well talk about um, the character of Molly as well, who, who I believe is, is half Thai. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so I guess... It, what about oh, the, the, the difference in, in, in perspective for, yeah. for, for the Thai characters? Well, uh, there's always this dilemma when you're trying to, uh, I mean, as a white writer, you're, you're not, I'm not going to stray from my lane too much. I mean, my subject is other, is Western people. And I think that's, that's, that's what it should be. Um, that said, um, we're now living in a global culture where everyone lives everywhere. So in a way, these definitions are melting away day by day, uh, year by year. Um, 
So it's a, it, it, it seems to me you can one has to deal with the interactions between one's own culture and others. But how do you do that without um, doing an act of kind of mentoring or mimicry? You're getting inside the heads of characters who inhabit a culture which you don't understand. So I try to base my Thai characters on uh, people who I actually know and just to observe them as, as much as I can, uh, as much as I could. Um, you know, actually, all the characters are based on people I know. Um, they don't, of course, behave like the characters that I know, but there are many elements that are very similar. And then you have to make a sort of um, a, a leap of guesswork. Uh, I mean, one of the main characters is the caretaker in the uh, building. You know, uh, we call pop from the Thai expression pop hen to look and find. And that's a character who I know very well. He's actually somebody who's in the building. I've known him for years, you know, and I've talked with him for years. And I, I think I know what his, his aspirations and fears are. So it's not, I'm not like guessing, I'm not guessing entirely blind. Um, but obviously it's a different, it's a very different world. I mean, how do you describe the worldview of somebody who believes in a certain kind of animist Buddhism? I mean, that's a very difficult thing someone like me to entirely enter. Um, all I can say is I think in the cases of these characters, I try to be as faithful to what I thought, think is true and to do it as best as I can. As, as I can. Um, this touches on a, a number of points I'd, I'd like to return to later in the interview. Um, but, but I'd like to ask, I'd like to talk about the kingdom itself, the, the setting of the kingdom apartment complex. Yeah. Uh, much of the book is set within its four walls, uh, and you know when residents venture outside, it's usually portrayed as something far more dangerous than and, and far more adventurous than you might expect for people living in a city, even even as maybe short term short term expats. Uh, I feel it probably aligns pretty cleanly with the idea of the of the quote unquote expat bubble. Um, was this something you were trying to emulate in, in setting the scene, or in setting the, the book in this apartment complex? Um, yes and no. Bangkok is not actually a particularly dangerous city. It's just that the, the, um, the, the time frame for the story, uh, which is uh, fictional, I mean, you know, uh, is, is that of a military uh, Repression and an, an uprising from the streets, a protest, a protest period. Now, I've been, I've lived through two military coups in Thailand, one in 2006 and one in 2014. So, uh, I drew on my memories of what it was like in those periods. That is not the way Bangkok is most of the time. Most of the time, it's actually um, relatively sedate and relatively, uh, you know, relatively safe for expats. Um, especially for expats in a way. So I, I inverted the normal realities, I would say, <clears throat> in order to sort of, um, you know, make the outside world. During the coup in 2014, I mean, uh, the streets around where I live, the kingdom is, by the way, set where I live. I mean, it's in my building. I'm just talking, I'm talking to you from, I'm talking to you from it right now. But I remember during that time when you went out in the streets, uh, it was definitely edgy and quite dangerous feeling. I mean, there was something weird in the, atmosphere in the streets um, that was definitely not safe, um, even though it was very difficult to say what exactly was dangerous. I mean, there was a curfew, there were soldiers roaming around and all that, but there was also a kind of antagonism coming, coming from certain parts of the population, like a resentment against the rich, which is primarily directed against the Thai rich, but it was by extension uh, directed against um, 
what were seen as wealthy expats as well. So writing this book, I tried to recall those days and to recall, try to recall that atmosphere. But it's not the atmosphere that we have now. Uh, it's not the atmosphere in which I'm living day to day. Right now, um, there's no separation between the actual place, the kingdom now, and the, 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 the neighborhood in which it sits. Um, actually, it's a very nice neighborhood. It's a very affluent neighborhood. It's very Japanese. It has a lot of um, quite uh, swanky nightlife and, you know, and so forth. So I changed it for the book. Although it's interesting, and, and, and I know that, that, that you weren't writing the book in this time, um, but kind of the idea of being stuck within four walls, of having to, of staying inside and not venturing outside, uh, let's just call that, that, that's a pretty familiar feeling for many of us this year. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that uh, you say that because I wrote this book three years ago. Uh, there was no uh, uh, hint that, that we could be living in a coronavirus, you know. Uh, but it was as soon as the lockdown happened in, in Thailand, uh, and Thailand was the first country in the world to have an infection outside of China. It was where the pandemic began. Um, in fact, the pandemic began like four blocks from where I live, from the kingdom itself, um, which is very ironic. But, you know, when that was going on and we were all locked up here, uh, I thought, wow, it, this is the atmosphere in the novel, um, even though I wasn't writing it by that time. But it was exactly, it was uncanny how similar it turned out to be. Because we had, um, not only did we have a lockdown, but there were occasionally fire, uh, power outages and you know, people were going down to the lobby to sort of congregate nervously. And it was definitely a very um, creepy feeling. And I describe in the book, I imagine in the book, the gradual invasion of animal life from the outside as the power system fails again and again. Well, that's exactly what happened during the lockdowns here. We began to notice there were large lizards in the canals and there were lots more dogs and sort of bats and, you know, monkeys and whatnot. I mean, Bangkok is very jungly anyway, but I mean, this was like a, a swift retaking of the human environment by the animals. And I thought that was ironic as well, because I, I actually the last 30 pages of the book were described that process exactly. And now it was happening in real life. I almost wish I'd waited to. Um, <laughs> I'd always I waited to do the last edits until that happened. I could have given it even more uh, ferocity than I, you know, had originally put in. But by then, the book was already done. So, uh, you you've talked a bit about about you know how how Bangkok is normally very safe, and you invented a period of of um, of political tension to to kind of give to give the city that that feeling of danger or, or of tension that it wouldn't normally have. Um, obviously, it's, it's a fictional period of protest, but as you've mentioned, there have been protests in the past. There have been coups in the past. Um, oh, yeah. Bangkok is going through a period of protest right now, obviously nowhere near the extent to which the book, The, the, the Glass Kingdom, um, goes as far. The protests, have, at least from outside, look like they've, they, they've been very peaceful. Um, but what is what is it about Thailand's protests and or or the political dynamics of that um, that makes it a good backdrop for the story of the Glass Kingdom? Well, it's a very uh, deceptively calm backdrop. The real place, I mean. In fact, Thailand's very volatile. It has um, its conflicts are not resolved. Um, they're ongoing. Uh, they resurface from time to time. Uh, and things can get funky very, very quickly. Um, you know, the, the, even in 2014, I mean, people were killed. It wasn't bloodless, but it wasn't that violent compared to 
military coups elsewhere. But you could see that it was on the brink of becoming really violent. Um, and in 2010, when I actually I wasn't here, I wasn't living here, but 2010 was exceptionally violent. I mean, lots of people were killed, and there was all, there was live ammunition in the streets. The soldiers were shooting people. Um, you know, there was like a, it was like really a borderline revolution. Um, so you have to remember <clears throat> these uh, conflicts inside the society um, haven't been ironed out uh, by the military government. They've just been put on hold for a while. Um, and I don't think anybody knows. It, I don't think anybody living here knows what's going to happen next. You never know. Um, so far, it's the student protests this time round uh, have been relatively peaceful. And also, given that it was ironic that coronavirus came along, it's also ironic that I described these student protests, which are now actually happening. I actually thought at the time of writing in 2017, as I was writing the book, I thought maybe this was a bit far-fetched and then maybe this wasn't going to happen. And then sure enough, three years later, it is happening. Um, the student protests are getting bigger and bigger and uh, we shall see what happens. I would say that there are some quite extraordinary things happening in terms of what people are prepared to say openly. Um, that said, I mean, <clears throat> I think I'm very much, being a foreigner, I'm something of a spectator. I mean, I'm not really involved in Thai politics, and I don't really know that much about it. I don't necessarily understand all the complexities of it. But those are my impressions. I'd like to, to move on from, from the book itself to, to uh, the research and writing process that you follow. Um, you've set novels all over the world, in Bangkok, in Cambodia, I believe there are books also based in Greece and Morocco. Uh, what's your research process like when you're, when you're figuring out a new location to set a novel? Well, it doesn't work like that. I don't have an idea of a location and then write it. What I do is I live in a place for many years, and then years later, I decide to use it. So I'll, so I'll give you a perfect example, which is Morocco, which is my first novel, The Forgiven, which was published in 2012. Well, I had lived in Morocco in 1986, and then again, in I went there in the year 2000, um, to collect fossils, believe it or not. And I, that, that trip I had, had taken me to these remote quarry towns in the Sahara. But I never thought I would write a novel about it. I had no conception of doing that. I was actually writing about the fossil trade. And I was writing that, I was writing pieces for the New York Times about the whole the way this, the whole system worked and what the deep Sahara was like. Uh, because I was going there as a journalist, I was seeing aspects of Morocco that I would never have imagined existed. And, I, and which I would never have visited just of my own accord. I don't think I could have concocted a novel setting, you know, that would have taken me to a quarry, you know, uh, chipping out trilobites in, you know, of 10 miles from the Algerian border with child labor. I don't think I could ever have conceived of that. So it's, it's the other way around. I, I, I spend a lot of time in these places it sort of gestates for many, many years. And then I would revisit if I, if I feel there's a story that could come out of it. So obviously um, the process is really unconscious, not conscious. Um, Greece, you know, Greece, I spent a lot of time in Greece as a child. Uh, and um, in 2012, I went back to the money to write a piece about Patrick Lee Farmer, the famous English, uh, the famous English travel writer who lived there. 
and I was sent there by the Wall Street Journal, and you know, it was this beautiful lands, very strange landscape, and it wasn't Hydra where the book is set, but it was, you know, a very sort of um, interesting part of Greece, and it jogged something in my childhood memories. Um, but again, it was another five years before I thought maybe I could write a book set in Hydra. Um, and I actually did go back to Hydra in that year, just by accident. I was went to Hydra because the New York Times sent me to write a piece about this guy called Darkis, who's this Greek billionaire, who's the, I think one of the wealthiest art collectors in the world. And he's uh, he has a yacht designed by Jeff Koons, and he sails into Hydra port every July to 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 uh, set off this. Um, arts festival that lasts for the whole of July. And people come from all over the world to go to Hydra for this thing. So I was there to cover this very sort of um, Ponzi arts festival. Um, got to know Darkest a little bit and saw the social scene there, so the sort of post Leonard Cohen scene. And I was very interested in how that worked. You had all these rich people arriving on this small island in the middle of a huge economic crisis in Greece, an economic crisis and a migrant crisis. And I thought those elements could be put together and suddenly it all kind of uh, fell into place. And I came back to Bangkok afterwards. And uh, as I was on the plane going home, I formulated that the idea of the story. So I wouldn't call that research. I think it's just sort of, um, you take the elements in your life, your lived experience, and you let them settle down. And then something might come out of it or may not. And there are many places I've been to which I would love to set stories in that I've never done that. Like Papua New Guinea, for example, I spent a lot of time there, but I've never been able to um, think of what I, what I would write there as a novel. You know? Um, and this has been true of all my books. I mean, Cambodia, I also was going to Cambodia for years and years and years. I mean, not with no no thought of uh, writing a novel there. Um, I don't know why. Suddenly, I sort of woke up one day after a dream and I had this idea I was going to do this story in Cambodia. And the book was very easy to write because all the settings were already inside me. I'd already been mulling over them or dreaming about them for years and years. And so I didn't have to go and do anything. What I did do in the case of Cam in all these places, however, is that when the novel is finished, I will go back and fact check it just to make sure I mis didn't misremember things. And this is a very interesting process where you do a kind of um, research of a kind, but it's after the event. So in Hunters in the Dark, my novel set in Cambodia, I went back to Phnom Penh just to see if I had gotten the details correct. And this story is about a school teacher, who, an English school teacher, who sort of goes off the rails in Phnom Penh. But a lot of the book is set in Phnom Penh is about him walking between different points in the city. And when I actually did it with a stopwatch, I went with a stopwatch to see if I got the distances correct, I realized that everything was incorrect. I actually got all the distances completely wrong. And I hadn't remembered uh, the, diff the, you know, the way the, the city spatially worked, and how each place related to every other place when you walk between them. So this is very this is very sort of a um, technical thing where I wanted to be so, uh, so realistic that even when a guy was walking from A to B, you would get the time exactly right. It would be 10 minutes, not 15 minutes, 10 minutes, not five minutes. Um, you can't get the, all those details right, but I think if a novel is set in the present moment, then those things are important. and You need to try and get them as correctly as possible. Um, I mean, I have a novel set in Macau, my novels in Hong Kong, The Battle of a Small Player. And I had been going to Macau for years, uh, gambling as a not very successful gambler. And years after I stopped gambling, I got cured of it. Um, I decided it would be like a fun story, you know. So I wrote this book, Battle of a Small Player. And after we'd done all the edits, I went back to Macau uh, just because I was doing my visa run from Bangkok. 
And when I was walking around Macau, I realized there were many, many things that I didn't notice. I noticed, for example, that the pavements have the sidewalks there have these monochrome mosaics showing different sea animals. And I thought, this is a wonderful detail, which I completely didn't see the first hundred times I'd been there. For some reason, I just never noticed it. And of course, as soon as I saw it, uh, I incorporated it into the novel. So, so then what happened with this book? Um, what, I, I guess, did, did you wake up one night and think, I have a novel in me about Bangkok, the place where, where I've lived for how, however long you've lived there? Um, hey, yes. what, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And the answer is, I had wanted to write a novel in Bangkok all along and couldn't really do it. I couldn't find it. In fact, I tried it several times and it just didn't work. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I need to live here for a while before it really sinks in, in a way. Uh, and eight years seemed to be about the amount of time that it took. Um, I don't know why that's the case. Maybe that's crazy. I don't know. But after eight years, I felt that I was, my footing was quite sure. I knew, I knew, I knew, you know, I'll probably get things, some things wrong. And there are things about Thailand I don't understand, et cetera, et cetera. But eight years is still eight years. I mean, it's still quite a long time. And that's like day-to-day living and not, not uh, living here full time. So you do actually get to know, I mean, certainly in terms of my neighborhood, I mean, that's correct. I mean, it's like I really wanted to have a, I wanted the sort of a backdrop of the neighborhood to be almost cinematic. It had to be completely authentic, and completely real. Um, so after eight years living in one neighborhood, I, I wasn't going to get that wrong. because I'd lived in this same neighborhood for all that time. So... A, a new set of questions now. Um, so your books, and, and, and I admit I don't know whether you believe this to be an unfair characterization, um, but your books are sometimes put in, into a genre called expat fiction. I believe the New York Times review of your book um, compared, compared your writing to those of Graham Greene. And again, I, I don't know how you feel about the, about the genre classification of quote-unquote expat fiction, um, but what was it about the experience of a, of a foreigner arriving in a new and unfamiliar location uh, that, that appeals to you? And I guess talking about the, that class of stories in general, kind of, kind of, is there a standard form? Um, like, what is, this, what is this narrative about the, about the foreigner arriving in a, in a new location? Well, I don't think expat fiction really exists anymore, I think. And, and actually, I have, to, I have to disagree with you. I don't think I've ever heard that in... Most of the reviews I've had haven't even mentioned the word expat. Um, it just seems to be something that is extinct. It's something from a, a, a previous age. Um, Graham Greene was never an expat. He was very, very English. Um, I mean, you know, he wrote The Quiet American in the 50s, and he was in Vietnam for three years. That's as long as he ever went anywhere. I mean, most of the time he lived, he spent, he lived in Europe. Um, I don't think, well, you could say he's an expat from England living in Europe. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking about you know, uh, Europeans living outside. Um, the closest parallel would be someone like Paul Bowles, who was an expat. Um, and, you know, the expat scene in Tangier in the 40s and 50s and 60s, but that was a true expat culture. I mean, it was, you know, it was like a sort of way of life. Um, now, you, it's true that you have an expat culture in Bangkok, um, but I'm, well, up to this point, I've never written about those people or that scene. And, I'm not involved much of it, uh, much in any way with it in real life because most of my friends here are actually Thai. So I don't really have much, um, I mean, as far as, as far as I am myself concerned, 
I think the world is so is changed. I think now because of air travel and because of the ease of moving around, the idea of being an expat or some kind of dramatic state of being is completely ridiculous. I mean, I don't think uh, I don't feel like I'm an expat if I'm living in Hong Kong or Tokyo or or anywhere actually really these are all these cities are very similar they have a very similar civilization they're interconnected deeply financially in terms of movement and you know people um you know i think um there are just as many immigrants if we can use the new word immigrant of people who are non-westers living in london or new york whatever um i, don't, I think the world is not like that anymore and i think um as for the subject matter, my subject matter of Westerners who fall out of their culture into others. Yeah, but, that's, but, but, that, but then I don't think it's necessarily uh, being expats. The protagonists in The Forgiven are just there for a weekend. Uh, the protagonist in Hunters in the Dark is somebody who is just sort of going on a spree. He's going on an escape, but he's not trying to be an expat. He's not trying to have a new life somewhere else. Um, in Battle of a Small Player, the small town lawyer who reinvents himself as a pseudo lord is a gambler. I mean, it's not what I think of normally when we think of expats. Um, the term expat in Asia has actually a kind of um, an aura of respectability about it. It's usually people working in the corporate sector or the financial sector or the hotel sector or whatnot. That's really the core expat world. And I'm not actually describing that and I'm not really involved with it at all. Um, my characters are more like just loners or, or, or lone protagonists uh, who happen to be somewhere else for very different reasons. Um, in The Glass Kingdom, however, yes, we do have a little glimpse of the expat um, world. And I thought that was appropriate for Bangkok because Bangkok has a very large expat uh, culture and it has a very large number of expats who are working in precisely the areas that I just mentioned just as Hong Kong does, of course. Um, you know, and I think that, that, that there you could say, uh, although, you know, it's funny living in Bangkok, you never really have much dealings with them. Um, they're much more visible in Hong Kong, funnily enough. I don't know if you agree or not, but I think in Hong Kong, there's a definite English-speaking expat, you know, sort of, um, you know, people because of the financial industry, you have these people, bankers and whatnot, who are kind of have this way of life and have this very definite sort of um, separate culture. And that's because also because Hong Kong is an ex-British colony, there's a kind of holdover from the colonial thing. Whereas Bangkok was never a colony, it was never a European colony. It's the only country in Asia that was never a colony, uh, apart from Japan. So, um, you know, what you have in Hong, what you have in Bangkok is something very different. Um, you have people who've migrated here for work reasons, but living here, I, I don't personally uh, notice it very much. I think in all the books that I'm gonna write from going forward, this probably, the, uh, the sort of expat patriot characters will probably not figure that largely, I think. Um, anyway, as far as the um, expat genre, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know who else is doing it really. Um, I think it's, uh, like I say, I think it's just something from, you could think you could imagine it in the 1960s, 70s and so on. But I think now we're living in a very, a much stranger, a much smaller world. And, and I think on that point, and this will be our, our, our last question, I think, um, as, you, as you notice, the, as, you, as you say, the, the world has changed. Um, you yourself have noted the, the care or, 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 or how careful you were in writing about um, the local Thai characters of your book being a, 
I think as you said, being, being, being a white author. Um, clearly, I think there's a, and I think many books have fallen into this, into the, into these pitfalls about, um, let's say Western authors writing about non-Western characters, uh, and falling into pitfalls about race, about culture, about, about gender and so on. Um, I, I guess from your experience, how, how have you kind of grappled with these questions? Um, and what are some areas where, where I guess, you know, writing can, can improve on these matters? Well, I think I would say these are very American preconceptions, uh, preoccupations. The rest of the world is not that bothered. Um, Americans are obsessed by it. I, and that's to do with internal American politics. Uh, I lived in the United States for 20 years. I was in Hong Kong. I was in New York for, in 20 years. People talk about it far more in New York than they do here. Um, it's a sort of, I actually, I would, I would go further. I think those preoccupations are very white middle-class preoccupations. They're an extension of a, of a kind of white guilt, um, which, you know, I, is not necessarily that interesting or effective, really. However, that said, I mean, you do have to be aware. You have to be aware of not making silly mistakes, and you have to make sure, you have to be careful not to, um, well, you know, it helps living in for a few years in a place. I think that actually does disabuse you of a lot of preconceptions that you have about a place. But usually it's a question of how you do it. It's not a question, it's a question of tone, a question of implicit respect. Um, the writer, I think, should try and have some humility, um, not go wading in, you know, sort of uh, assuming that he or she knows this and that, because we don't. Um, I think there's a certain freedom in accepting in yourself that you don't know those things, uh, because it means that you write in a different way, not necessarily hesitantly, but certainly with a certain kind of caution. Um, I think I've tried to exercise that caution as much as one can. Um, but, you know, we live in a multiracial, multipolar world. Everybody's living in everyone's country, as I said earlier. So these um, complications are inevitable. They, can't, they simply can't be avoided anymore. Gone are the days where you have people in the groove of their authenticity, you know, cut off from everything else. Um, that is over. And I can't think of anywhere in the world where it isn't. Except maybe Papua New Guinea, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> you know, but that's not the, the, the world in which we, the, the urban world we live in, the global urban world we live in, um, is not like that. And you can't, um, you're, everybody living in that, this urban culture now is forced to deal with these issues. I think that's a great place to, to end this interview. So, so uh, this was an interview with Lawrence Osborne, author of the new novel of uh, The Glass Kingdom. Lawrence, um, where can people find more of your work? And is there anything you're working on right now you'd like to mention for our listeners? Um, we just finished uh, shooting the film version of The Forgiven in Morocco um, with Jessica Chastain, Ray Fiennes, Matt Smith, Danny Jones, and that will be coming out next year, I hope. And uh, Hunters in the Dark is also being filmed in, Cam in Cambodia next April. Uh, with a, with, uh, we have Zima, Chinese actor in it, and being filmed hopefully by Christopher Doyle, who's the cinematographer who worked with Hawaii. Uh, so, um, and then my book on Greece, Beautiful Animals, is being uh, filmed next year as well. So you can see those. And as for getting the books, they're pretty much everywhere. You can get them on Amazon, um, you know, uh, and 
reasonably good bookshops everywhere. Do you do you get to hobnob with these famous actors and actresses as they work on your book? I had a well, I was actually I had a scene actually in The Forgiven at the beginning, so I had my ten seconds of screen immortality, um, which will probably come back to haunt me. But I agreed to do it, so. <laughs> I, I I yes I I suppose as the author you can you can demand a cameo. Um, they demanded it of me actually. I didn't demand okay. anything. I, I flew to Morocco and did my scene valiantly. Oh well, you can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R I Gordon. That's N I C K R I G O R D O N. You can go to AsianReviewBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. And follow on Facebook or on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find countless other author interviews at the New Books Network at newbooksnetwork.com. Thank you very much, Lawrence, for talking with me today. Thank you very much.